he spoke in the morning that we did a joint service, he spoke about charge. Let's just go for it. And I think that really resonated for a few of us for 2020 that it's time to charge. And I had this word almost <clears throat> prepared for last Sunday, and then Sparky very kindly offered to speak last Sunday, and he was amazing, so that was a good thing to do. But it was good, so it gave me an extra wick to sort of study uh, the life of Jehoshaphat, because I think if I preached us just last Sunday, I would have just fired into his successes. But when you see his background, when you see his background, his life wasn't just about successes. He made some glaring, silly mistakes. Anybody ever made a silly mistake in here? And you look back, the thing with Jehoshaphat, it's recorded in the Word of God. Now, your mistakes may be able to keep to yourself, but I love how the Bible is so blunt and doesn't try and cover up stuff. It is for it is. And if you had asked me about Jehoshaphat before really studying, I must have said, well, he's a hero, because I can't battle his story without looking into his hell story. But when I looked into his hell story, I thought, man, he'd really did blow it on a few occasions. And his life is actually a lesson. A few lessons, it's a lesson of worship, it's a lesson of prayer, it's a lesson how to take command, it's a lesson how to charge, but it's also a lesson on relationships and how they get involved in Abdi Alsa's Meniers, which is a good Northeast word. Because up until verse eight, uh, chapter 18, Jehoshaphat is truly a hero. It says he was blessed and millions of people at his command. He was a warrior. He says he had rich, he flourished, he was prosperous. Ah, that in the Old Testament was a sign that he was God's favorite. He had favor upon his life, and he was doing well. Then chapter 18 happens, and he just made a silly mistake. And the title of this sermon is Fit what to do when the battle is bigger than you. But to get that into the context, we need to go to the battle before the successful battle, and we need to see far he went wrong. To put you in a picture, there was two kingdoms in the Old Testament. There was Judah in the north and Israel in the south. And a lot of the times as you work through Chronicles, they're just at battle with one another. So Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he was very successful. And verse 2 says this, so chapter 18, a few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab. Now, Ahab was an ungodly king. He didn't worship the Lord. He worshiped idols. He was an ungodly king. And he prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep goats and cattle for the feast. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth Gilead. Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? King Ahab of Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Why, of course, Jehoshaphat replied, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops. We will certainly join in the battle. But he did add, but first, let's find out what the Lord has said. So, Jehoshaphat's really successful. He lives for God. He worships Yahweh. Ahab, ungodly, worships Baal. And Jehoshaphat, it says, was enticed by Ahab for a partnership. And he says these words, Are my troops, are your troops? Whoever is what I've got, you can hear as well. You can have access to our parts in my life. And it's a lesson of how you keep company We Bad company can corrupt good character. It's not to say that every chum you might hear must be saved, must be washed in the blood. You can hear chums that's not Christians, but just watch the influence they hear over your life, because this was Jehoshaphat was enticed, and uh, if you did social training and all that, I suppose you would say, uh, ungodly soul tie. He made a covenant. 
Of course I'll go to battle with you, Ahab. He didn't ask why they wanted to go to battle. Ahab was just greedy for power. But then Jehoshaphat, Ken and Yahweh, said these words. He says, but first, let's ask and inquire of the Lord. So what Ahab did was to get all his prophets. And all his prophets lined up and there was all agreeing with Ahab. And some of them got really fancy visions. You can, you can mark God say anything if you want. One of them said, oh, I see two horns, and I have two horns. It's Joseph and Ahab. They've got to demolish this uh, people, the Gilead. And Jehoshaphat knew. That's what gets me. He knew within himself that something smelled off. You can, when you've got the Holy Spirit, he's your teacher. It doesn't matter if Abdi's saying, you can still smell. It's just a bit off. Because Ahab had surrounded himself by people that was going to agree to his agenda because he was a bad king. And we have to watch in relationships, far as being the influence, fits the word of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat still came and said these words. Is there nobody else though that maybe carries the word of the Lord? Near the prophets surrounding you, it's good to have people access to your life that will tell you the truth, isn't it? And they just pat you in the back and sin and say, it's okay, keep sinning, and it'll be, go well with you in the end. To have a bar accountability, and Jehoshaphat was like, I hear all this, I see Ahab, I hear the prophets, I hear this vision about two horns, but is there nobody else here? That's a true prophet in the Lord. And Ahab said this, he says, well, there, there is one, and his name's Micah, and he's a troublemaker, for he always prophesies bad things about me. I don't really want to hear him speaking this occasion. And so Jehoshaphat says, I really want to hear what he's got to say. And Micah said, well, and here for Micah's got to say, and Ahab said, oh, I'm not too sure. Why not just listen to my prophets? And Jehoshaphat says, no, let's listen to Micah. And Micah comes. He says, this is the word of the Lord. This is not a battle you're supposed to be involved in. Then I go. It is not going to end well. You will suffer harm. And Jehoshaphat listened. And he knew. But yet you go on and you read through chapter 18 and you read that he went to battle on a way. And when we are speaking about charge, when we are speaking about warfare, when we are speaking about going for it, I want to tell you, didn't I charge into battles that you wasn't created for? Because Jehoshaphat knew, hold on, this is maybe near for the Lord. And then he went to battle, and Ahab died. And it says, in the midst of the battle, in verse 31 of chapter 18, Ahab cried out to the Lord and was saved. Je Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord and was saved. That was a battle he was never meant to face. That was a battle he was never meant to charge into. The first lesson is, then I charge into battles that you wasn't created for. It will leave you tired. It will leave you weary. It will leave you dumbfounded. It will leave you confused. It will leave you without strength. And maybe 2019, you have charged into battles that you have been enticed into battles, that you maybe knew deep down within, this is near my burden. This is near my battle. That the Lord has now signed this manier for me. And you have got involved in other people's lives. You've been enticed into stuff, and it has left you wounded. It has left you weary. And it says, in the midst of that mistake, Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, and maybe you're here this morning and you can, that you have been fighting battles that wasn't supposed to involve you. 
Because here's a word for you. You're not the answer to Abdi's problems. Isn't that true? Because you hear folks, right, that's it. I'm about to sort them out. <laughs> you, know, you can't sort yourself out. Never mind sort anybody else out. That's how I find enough. I'm going to sort them out. I'm going to sort that family out. Sort them out. The Bible says you can't sort yourself out. Jesus is the only one that's going to sort you out. So if it makes you think you're going to rock up with your wisdom to sort out the else out. And then you, like Jehoshaphat, because there's usually a feeling inside, isn't there? Think, I'm getting too deep into there, many years. I'm getting inveigled here. I'm getting tied up. I'm arguing with people on Facebook. I don't even care far they are on him. I don't even care my end point of view. But I'll keep arguing and keep getting. There's other stuff to do. There's probably battles on your doorstep that you're supposed to be facing in the name of Jesus. But meanwhile, you're facing battles that you're not even supposed to be near. And it's difficult because we get enticed into these battles. We get enticed into these warfare moments thinking, I need to be there. If I'm not there, if it's going to happen, if I'm going to help Ahab, it'll work out okay if I get involved. Because the Lord's way, man, I'm highly favored. I'll hear the answers. And so we go for it, but in the midst of the battle, before there's only success, before there's only victory, before there's only fruit, like Jehoshaphat, you realize, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm weary. I am tired. But I'm going to cry out to the Lord. And it didn't end well for Ahab, but it says that the Lord rescued Jehoshaphat and made his enemy turn away. We're speaking about pathways and desert places that you maybe need to remove yourself for certain situations. Now you've got to watch why you do it. Do it gently, do it humbly. And I'm saying you've got to leave here and phone people. I'm not your friend anymore. You cause me nothing but hassle. God will give you the wisdom and how to deal with stuff. But I'll tell you something, I look back in 2019, I got involved in a lot of battles that wore my tune. I didn't see any fruit. I didn't see, I just got inveigled. And I can feel it myself and it happens. I can see my searching for answers and there's no answers. And I wonder if it my place is in the hell scenario. But yet you keep fighting until you're well doing. And you find that the strength of the Lord is now upon you simply for this. He doesn't want you to fight that battle. And sometimes it's better just to they say nothing. And pray for people. That's the battles we need to get involved in for a family that needs us. We don't need sorrow every minute. So maybe just a lesson, because it would be easy for me to stand up this morning and say, let's charge. Let's take charge. Let's go into battles. Let's see victory. Let's see success. God is we in every circumstance to bring fruit for the kingdom of the Lord. But yet Jehoshaphat's life doesn't just tell us that. He also tells us that he was supposed to be involved in every battle. And I pray for 2020 that we would be able to discern that battles we are supposed to walk into in the name of Jesus and fit battles are not really for us, and people's trying to entice us into it, and we just need to leave it in God's hands and simply say, I cannot involve my time and effort and energy into this battle. And a parent will tell you that we have got enough battles before us than to try and sort out somebody else's families. As I see my kids grow up, I think, oh, I need to spend more time with them and pray for them and lay hands on them rather than trying to always put Abdi else's fires. Now, as well, I'm saying that with wisdom as well as a pastor. 
It's my role to look after the shepherd and the flock. So phone my, please phone and get in contact when you go through stuff. But this is for Ewings as well. Dinner work, salute, fighting the wrong battle. So he escaped. And in chapter 19, he tries to, he starts putting his house in order. He starts putting the nation in order. He starts putting judges, our people. And it seems as though he's learned his mistake because he charges every judge, say, look, judge of our, the people with the fear of the Lord. Then I judge your people with the people in mind trying to please the people. He says, judge your people with God in mind. And listen, if a God is saying, and deal with godly wisdom, and they just give him what they want. Then I mark on godly alliances. So he's made a mistake. He looks back. He's made a mistake, and he's trying to put things right. And maybe some mistakes he made in 2019. Now's the time to take stock and put things right. If there is ungodly relationships, if you are too much time on Facebook, if you look at stuff in the computer, you're not supposed to I tell you, now is the time, like Jehoshaphat, to review a moment and put things right. There's nothing like a new year to take stock and to put things right. Amen? <laughs> it's the right time to do it. And so Jehoshaphat, 19, 2019, starts putting things right. And then he fires into 2000. In 20, we'll say chapter 20, because this happened. Read Wema in chapter 20. It's interesting that this is chapter 20 and we are embarking on 2020. Because this word came out and Sarah walked in. We were taking down the Christmas tree and that yesterday. Sarah walked in. I told her, look, this is why I'm speaking on the morn about charge, about Jehoshaphat charging and worshiping and prayers. And she says, wow, that's amazing. She had sent a message to Gilbert, I'm not sure it was to the hell worship team, maybe to the hell worship team about Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. This would be a year of charging we worship. So now why I'm glad I never spoke this last week as well. So we can, we're on the right track. We can, the Holy Spirit speaking. It says this in chapter 20. After this, after he got his house in order, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from behind the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. It's saying us, there's a bigger army than you coming against you. And they're on your doorstep. And they're coming for the blind side, the Dead Sea. There's things in 2020 that you are going to face that are bigger than you. He got the news, there's an army assembled and they're coming against you. They want to destroy you, and it's a big army, and they're on your doorstep, which means us, you don't even got to time to think. You see, in chapter 18, he had time to think. There was an alliance, there was a strategy, there was conversations. He had time to consult other prophets, and he decided to do something that he, can't, he really shouldn't have done. I have a feeling in 2020, like every year, there's stuff comes against us that we're just not ready for. If I got into deep and the battle's too big for you, it might be that news that you didn't want for the doctor. It might be a relational thing. It might be something that you thought you'd dealt with years ago. Ooh, and now I come back to haunt you. This was near a sermon to put you in a bad mood because there is hope here. But we need to ken for to deep and the battle's too big for you. Do you ken that you have your limits? When you want to confess to that, I have my limits. And I can for that limits is exceeded and this is too big for me. And this is Jehoshaphat 
in chapter 20, faced with the news, the dreaded news that somebody's coming to destroy him, a hell army's coming to destroy him. And he probably remembered who successful he was. He remembered the time he failed with Ahab, and he's came to this point. And it's probably shaking him to the core, because verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. He's maybe learned his lesson because he says he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. We're going to have a time of prayer, begging the Lord. I'm going to encourage you that week as well to fast. It might be fast social media. It might be fast food. That doesn't mean to go to McDonald's, fast food. It might mean gone with food, snacks, a TV, forever you decide to go with food to spend time with Jesus. We will encourage you to do that. I'll encourage myself to do that first. For are you going to do when the battle seems too big for you? Because there will be things to turn to. There is the substances to help you cope. There is the people that you can phone that will just agree with on a thing you say and lead you down a wrong path. But what are you going to do when the battle before you seems too big for you? And Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. This is the same temple that Solomon had dedicated before the Lord. He prayed. This is most of the wonderful prayers in the Old Testament. O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. It's a good place to start declaring how big God is. He didn't start by explaining to God his problems. He didn't start by looking at himself. It's almost a petition of praise. Well, this is my God. God of our ancestors. You alone are the God who is in heaven. He's saying this. The army is not in charge. God is in charge. That sickness is not in charge. God is in charge. Whatever your bank balance is saying, your bank manager is not in charge. It's a good place to start to declare that you are God who is in charge in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful. You are mighty. And no one can stand against you. I would agree. That's a good place to start when you're in a battle moment. When something has came against you that's too big for you. It's to lift your eyes to heaven and declare how big, how powerful, how mighty, how awesome that he is the ruler of all the kingdom. It's a good place to start. Nothing escapes his notice, his eye is on the sparrow. He created you in your mother's womb. He can count every hair in your head. It's a good place to start. God cares how big he is. But you don't tell him how big he is for a sake of him. Because he's not egotistical. He declared God and his godness and bigness. You declare how big he is for the sake of you and your faith. Because there's something about in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a storm, declaring his greatness. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? Did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said... This was Solomon's prayer. Whenever we are faced with any calamity, he's remembering what God has done before. He's remembering what Jesus has done before. His omnian here got a testimony that can prove what we sing about God's faithfulness. He's done it before. 
He's proved himself before. If ever you face in 2020, you need to remind yourself when the battle's too big for you. I have been through some stuff before, and I'm still here to proclaim the name of Jesus. I have been through some heartache before, and I'm still here. I've been bound before, and I'm still here to prove the faithfulness before. And if he's done it before, he can do it again, even more, Lord. Whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us, and you will rescue us. This is somebody that has learned for his mistakes. Go down to verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. You ever felt powerless before? Well, this is for you. You may be sitting here just feeling powerless with the battle you can face. And then this sentence, I'll split up into two halves. We do not know what to do. One of the most honest things that you will read for a king is Jehoshaphat saying, I do not know what to do. This is a guy with five million people at his disposal. This is a guy that kens Yahweh. He's in the temple. He's in the presence. He's at church on Sunday morning, and he has gathered people, and the best thing he can come up with at that moment is, I can't fit today. How would you feel if you came here on a Sunday morning, and I just stood up and says, I don't really can't fit today anymore, but I inspire some confidence within you. Because Abdi looks at the leadership because they're supposed to can fit today. It's funny, I had a name dropping, but I met with Ben Ritchie <laughs> before Christmas. We try and catch up every so often, especially at the close of a year. And we had a laugh. It's good to laugh, isn't it? Ah, release a joy. Because we both go through similar stuff. He was like, Abdi is expecting you to have 2020 vision. You do realize that. Because it just goes together, 2020, 2020 vision. And so he says, Fit fits your 2020 vision. And we laugh because he says, I've actually no idea. And it's two weeks before 2020. And he laughed because we realized that the vision for church never really changes. That it's about focusing on Jesus and making disciples and seeing people saved. And when we veer away at and try and come up with something to please the people, because Abdi's looking for a 2020 mass vision, then it just causes us stress. And it gets us weary, because we're not the smartest tools, the sharpest tools in the box. And we laugh because we can't, in that moment, we actually don't need to change our vision. That the vision that's been working for us just needs to continue. And there's something refreshing with people that will say, I'm just not too sure fit to deal with this. And is it okay for you, as a Christian, in the midst of a battle that will seem too big for you, is it okay for you to say, I don't hear the answers? I have no idea. Is that okay to say? I'll try my best to help you. I'll try my best to guide you. But sometimes the battle's too big. And instead of searching for the solutions and Googling, there's a solution for this problem, the Christian way, instead of trying to run a book that we think we might find the answer to it, and a 
book. Sometimes it's okay to join with the words of Jehoshaphat to ken how big God is, but still to say, I do not know what I'm doing here. And I got it sorted out. I remember from we got our first child, I thought, ah, oh, being a parent's got to be easy, the guy they have this, and there'll be a trophy, or oh, I think that's good about me, we'll be in them. And then they grow up a bit. And it's okay sometimes to think as a parent, I don't care if I'm doing here on the It's okay to think as a son, as a daughter, I don't care really if I'm doing here. And that might soon like it's disappointing and, and it's in, it maybe is. But for if it's Jehoshaphat says next, we are powerless against, this is for them who feel powerless at this time, for them that didn't really care for their day on the mirror. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you and we are looking to you for help. That words must bring some comfort to people that are in difficult battles. I would say through the years that has grieved many a widow, many a grieving person, many a lonely person to say this, I do not understand. And I go, are the answers? And I go, are the wisdom? I kind of see a pathway out of this particular point. I see the Edomites and all of them advancing against me. I can, I am in a spiritual battle. I have made my, my own mistakes. But today I stand here and say, I didn't can fully for I'm doing, but my eyes are upon Jesus. And I think if we approach 2020 with this in mind that our vision wouldn't be just another strategy, nor another ministry, but with this in mind to be vulnerable before God, to approach the week of prayer with the seriousness that it deserves, to approach the week of fasting with the seriousness it deserves, and to say, hey, 29 grand plus FCC. We had a go at our song together. We had a go at the answers. Indeed, I would say we have no idea what we are even doing. But our eyes are upon Jesus. We have now a magnificent 2020, 2021 vision. But our eyes are upon Jesus. And I think if our leadership teams and our ministries would go into 2020 with this in mind, we have not every solution. And we're not the solution to every problem in this community. Now, some people I'm supposed to help, and some people I simply can't help. I'm only one person. You see the Jesus at the pool of Bethsaida, 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 if it's his name again. Bethesda. A company of people that were sick only helped one person. But was he doing? He should have had a healing ministry right there and then, but he only went to the one. But in a moment of vulnerability, you have Peter, and Jesus is walking on water in the midst of a storm. Do you think he came for he was doing? And he was walking on water. Do you think he had us so astute? How within him was a power greater than gravity? Do you think he'd substitute gravity by that point? Do you think he sussed everything about Jesus? I think he was echoed Jehoshaphat. I don't really care if I'm doing, but as, as far as I do can, my feet's coming out this boat and my eyes are going upon Jesus. And I can, that's one thing that for my feet to keep walking and my eyes keep focusing, that I can walk on things I wasn't supposed to walk, and I can have victory over things I wasn't supposed to have victory over. I can have freedom in the midst of trials. I can have peace in the midst of storms. Not because I can work it out, but because I'm focused on Jesus. Because as soon as he put his eyes off of Jesus and onto the storm, he started sinking, and he got himself involved in the battle of the waves, the battle of the storm, he started sinking and he had to cry out, Jesus, save man. Jesus plucked him up once again. But the lesson is, if you've got your eyes upon Jesus, you can walk our things and walk through things. You can never walk through or walk our 
with your eyes upon everything else. Are you still with me? This morning, I wonder how Daniel felt going in to the den of lions. Had he got it all worked out? Had he got it all sewn up? I wonder if he would have echoed. I don't really care if it's happening here, but one thing I do is keep my eyes upon Jesus. His friends going into the fire if I get destroyed. Well, so what? I'm not bowing before a false god. They didn't hear us sewn up. But one thing they did was keep their eyes upon Jesus, and Joseph was the same. He got accused of the most horrendous crime, slung into prison. And he couldn't work it out, but one thing he did was keep his eyes upon Jesus. You will face battles in 2020. They might come quickly. They might be too big for you. It's almost not your job to work it out. It's your job to confess. I've no idea if I'm doing, but my eyes are upon Jesus. And maybe this morning, you would confess that your eyes has been far from Jesus. You've got involved in battles you wasn't supposed to. But now's the time to put it right and stop trying to work out your problems and nobody else's problems, getting involved in battles you wasn't designed to face. But it wasn't at the end of the story, and I'll finish on this. Verse 15. Because then he started to charge, and I kind of leave you, I kind of hear you leave this room without the charge. Because there wasn't a charge happened up until this point. There was just an assembly meeting. There was just a church meeting. Verse 15, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged by this mighty army in the battle you are facing, the battle is not yours, but God's. You are facing and you think our battle is yours and you're trying to control. As soon as you get out of God and say, I didn't understand it, but I'm yours, our that battle is written. This battle belongs to the Lord. Tomorrow, march out against them. You'll find them coming up through their scent. Charge against them. You will find them coming up through their scent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerul. You will not even need to fight. I like that words. Because I'm not a good fighter. I was more a runner than a fighter in the academy. It was something to do with my size. And I used to hang about with people who was quite mouthy and we used to get in fights. But as soon as a fight erupted, I was the first thing out of there. And I'm not scared to admit it because we're all mature on Numa Day. I like fighting, do we? As soon as I was on the, t- on the tension, I wasn't about like Mark Christopherson with his muscles for Brussels here. I was a little weedy kid. I had to run. So when it says in a scripture, then I fight, I'm thinking, amen already. March against them. Verse 17, you'll not even need to fight. Take your possession. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow. The Lord is with you. King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the, world, on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Believe in the Lord your God. You will be able to stand firm. That battle that you thought was too big against you, you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Why do I like that? 
there because it just didn't involve fighting. It was like they didn't even have to sharpen their spears. It was all about God for start to finish. He started with a prayer about him being the most high God. He confesses that he has no idea for his doing, but his eyes are upon him. He could have, after that, sent an army in to charge and march with a rain strength. But that was not the Lord's tactics. Because the Lord was going to show his people something. And the Lord was going to show the church something about what happens when we worship. Because we'd have just open a service in worship because it's the right thing to do and we've no idea how to start a service. We haven't included it in our week of prayer because we were scratching our heads for creativity and we had nothing else to come up with. So I thought, we'll just chuck in a night of worship. For the Christian, we need to realize that worship is warfare. And for new charge we worship, something happens in the heavenly realm that causes the enemy to get confused and disoriented because they thought that the battle was too big for you and the weapon formed against you was designed to destroy you and take out you and take out your family. But when the weapon is formed against you is too big for you, you need to realize to turn to the one who is in charge of the battle. And there's no greater time or why you do it than a moment or extreme worship. And it's not that you didn't care if it's going on. It's not that you didn't care the distress that the battle is causing. But it has shown the enemy fuzz in charge. And your God is still worthy to be worshipped in the midst of everything. And it says they sent the Levites first that was designed and designated to lead the people in praise and worship. They had to go first. They raised a loud voice, sang, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. You can out of your greatest battle can come your greatest testimony. For God can get the mess glory because he will rescue you with his mighty right hand to put your eyes upon God. And it said at that very moment they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves and ask the worship band to come up. This was a charge. This was a charge to worship. This was a charge not to sharpen their spears now to go to the gym and get big and learn how to fight. This was a charge for the Lord through Jehoshaphat. Or if it is to see victory in the battle that you thought was going to defeat you. Because there's something about worship as we get our eyes upon Jesus and sing about his holy name. To truly worship him. Now pay him some lip service because we think that's what we should do. But to truly push through and to give thanks to God in the midst of the storm. God gives us an idea if it happens in heavenly places that says that other enemy start to fight against each other and got disillusioned in retreat. And Israel and Judah thought they was going to have to fight the battle with their muscles. But God was showing them they was going to fight the battle God's way and the strength of his name. And when you do it that way, sometimes there's just a pathway to go through that didn't seem to be there before. And the thing that you thought was going to cause you, cause you undue stress and bring you doing Simply isn't there anymore. And the anxiety you thought you would always have to live with till the day you die simply isn't there anymore. Now, you can run to different places to get some answers, but let's start 2020. I'm entirely sure if it were doing, but we arise upon Jesus. I'm not entirely sure how it's going to work out 2020. I can't how I want it to work out, 
but I can, as I've lived through every year, that there will be curveballs. There will be battles that will come against us and me. They'll just seem too big. We need to remember if it's being said and it feels too big and you're unsure fit to do, raise that roof and worship. Then involve yourself in the battle that wasn't made for you, but face this in with worship. Get your house in order, remove things for your house that's not supposed to be here. Strategize well. But let's do warfare right, because it says that the enemy was scattered, started fighting amongst themselves. They attacked each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. No one escaped. Let's stand this morning. Let's mark a charge. Oh, praise. You might want to come to the front. Let's mark a charge of worship. You've tried everything else and it's never worked. Fat about Jesus. Fat about just unabandoned worship to Him. Unabandoned praise. It's near about if singing is your gifting. If God has designed us just for them that gifting, their singing was their gifting. It means only a few could see victory through worship. But this is for the body of Christ. You could be as gifted as the worship band here, or you could be like me, a kind of hood, a note. But regardless of either, it's about the heart response to Jesus. And I feel this morning that we need to mark a charge or praise or worship. The first thing we need today in 2020, the first service, isn't it to throw a vision that will impress us, but to throw worship to heaven that will impress Jesus and cause confusion in the enemy's camp. Because there is a weapon that is formed against you in dark places that comes for the dead sea. And God sees it and God knows about it. And the battle belongs to him and only he can deal with it. I've said enough. Didn't I be nervous? Didn't I protest with any type of caution or fear? It's about you and it's about Jesus and it's about how you're going to start 2020. I think there's no better way than with my eyes upon Him, worshiping Him. Even thinking about the enemy, and even thinking about the darkness, even thinking about coming against. God can deal with them. That's why I deal with Jesus in the best way. So Jesus, we have heard you speak. God, save us in 2019 and had discernment or get entangled in battles that you have now ordained us for to see fruit for us in your kingdom. Forgive us for marking ungodly alliances and trying to sort other people's problems out. That we have no power to do so. When we pray for 2020 that we would see immense fruit. We would see darkness tumble in the name of Jesus. We'd see people that are bound being set free. People that are lost and broken being found and made whole in this place. And God, we pray that 2020 would be marked by miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But God, arise this morning as neg for the enemy. It's not even for the miracle. It's for you, Jesus. So in this moment, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we ask that the spirit of praise and worship would be upon us. Exuberant praise, free praise. God, we loose heavenly praise in this place. We bind the fear of man. We bind the strong man that comes to bind us and restrict us. 
God, for the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we announce, <coughs> we announce a day of freedom, a day of victory, a day of looseness in the Holy Spirit, a day of reverence, a day of the fear of the Lord, a day that we can hear the angels singing upon us. And this morning we would get caught up, as Paul says, to fix our eyes and heart upon eternal things, upon Jesus. We fix our eyes upon you. And make a declaration this morning that 2020 would be marked by extravagant prayers and worship in the midst of battles, in the midst of trials, in the midst of the valley. We will raise our voices, we will raise our hearts, we will stomp our feet at the goodness of God. You have proved yourself before, you will do it again, and it is our privilege and pleasure to know you and your salvation. Let's raise our voices, people, as the band begins to play. Danny, you wait for me to finish what I am saying. This has got to be between you and Jesus. You may be in a Canaan and here this morning, then you can raise your voice on it while you have sat through a sermon. You might as well give thanks to Jesus for the breath that you breathe. You maybe have kept them for 50 years. You should be the first to raise your voices in front of the company of the assembly or his people. Be unashamed, be unafraid that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. No one will stop him. The schemes of the enemy will stop him. The battle that you face truly belongs to him. Raise your voices and raise your hearts to the one and the only true King Jesus, the only one that can save you. He is the great I am. He's driven out forces greater than you before. He will do it again.